Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 6. And then actually before we do Week 7 next week, we're going to have basketball starting. So that's going to be exciting as well. Uh, If anybody wants to check out some basketball stuff, I recorded a basketball kind of like DFS 101 type podcast with Josh Lloyd, who works with me at Basketball Monster. And his uh, basketball podcast is the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. So if you check out his Twitter or go to iTunes or Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those things, you could look that up if you want to get that information. I thought that it was pretty useful stuff, but... Jumping into the NFL games, the first game on the slate is the San Francisco 49ers at the Washington Redskins. Matt, what is the Vegas total for this? The Redskins are big favorites this week. I think they've actually played really well this season. Um, So the line is Redskins minus 10.5, total of 47. And I have DVOA up for the Redskins. Let me just pull that up again because I think it'll surprise some people to see the Redskins this high up. Uh, So the Redskins currently rank fourth in Dave, which is the combination of total DVOA for this year and some element of the preseason projections. And the Redskins are second this year in their DVOA rating. So they've played really well. Their record is only two and two, but they've had a really hard schedule. I think this is probably a pretty underrated team. And it's kind of reflected by the betting percentages where usually with a big favorite, you'll see the public heavily on the favorite. But we're looking at a very even split on the betting between the Redskins and Niners. Uh, I'm sure you'll get to this. The Redskins, it's kind of hard to figure out where their touches and where their passes are going. Um, Targets are kind of just spread around a lot. But on the whole, I think it's a pretty underrated team. And the line of 10.5 actually could be a bit too low for them. So there's one spot where the Redskins' defense is very vulnerable, and that is they are 31st in defensive DVOA against tight ends. And the 49ers' tight end is Greg Kittle, who's super athletic and kind of had his breakout game last week. He finished with, I think, off the top of my head, it was something like 20 or 22 fantasy points for almost the min price. And Kittle, I think, could be a really good tight end. And just because this is the spot to attack the national, the uh, the Nationals still stuck in baseball mode. The Redskins defense, I, I think that Kittle at thirty four hundred is a really strong play. And then I do think that there's some guys who maybe would kind of make some sense on the Redskins if they were priced cheaper. But here's the issue: we just don't know where their production's coming from. Rob Kelly has been ruled out, so we're back in a situation where Perrine's going to be starting. Uh, Thompson should get some work in passing downs. But still, I think there's better cheap options. And then from the Redskins offense, uh, Jordan Reed was healthy. Well, I wouldn't say healthy last week. He played last week, but only ended up playing 14 snaps. So it's really hard to say where the offense is going to come from from the Redskins. So for that reason, I'm off them this week. I think it's a really good spot for them. But it's kind of too – it's just too difficult for me to narrow it down. I think maybe if you want to use Cousins as like a naked quarterback, if you want some exposure to them. but Or else uh, there's – better situations for DFS that I prefer. Well, on the same note of the tight ends, uh, the Redskins tight end defense, the Niners actually have been by far the number one defense in the league against tight ends. So that does hurt Jordan Reed. But I also think that it's kind of hard to use these specific uh, positional DVOA ratings at this point in the season because the sample size on teams defending a certain position 
There's just not a lot of targets that we're talking about. So even though the Redskins have been really bad against tight ends, we're only looking at seven passes per game. And it's just, it seems like it would be better to use some combination of their specific position defense and then their overall pass defense. Because their overall pass defense is really good. They're one of the best teams in the league against number one receivers, against number two receivers, at defending running backs out of the backfield, against all other wide receivers. Overall, they're a top 10 defense. So it seems like maybe just a weird, quirky thing that they've been so bad against tight ends and maybe just a fluke of a couple big plays. So I wouldn't put as much weight into that as what you're saying, but it also makes sense that Kittle might just be really good. So it, if there's anyone to use on the 49ers, Kittle seems like the guy. But given how popular he figures to be after his monster game, I don't know if I like him as much as you do. And I also, I'm not sure that the defense rating against tight ends is that reliable at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, either way, I just think 3,400 is too cheap for Kittle. And I think it's a good spot for him. He got nine targets last week. So if he's going to get that kind of target share at only 3,400, I feel pretty comfortable about him having a decent game. The other thing, too, is I just think the game flow works in his favor. The Redskins are big favorites in this game. The 49ers are going to have to throw the ball to catch up late in the game. So I I think if we're trying to figure out where the ball is going to be going in that late-game situation, I think it's probably Kittle at a cheap price. Yeah, I I think I agree with you. He's a good play. I'm just a little wary of calling it a great matchup, and I'm also a little worried about his ownership. But just in a vacuum, I think he should do well against his Redskins defense because tight end probably is their worst position to guard, even if it's not as bad as it seems um, on paper based on DBOA and 3,400 is a cheap price. So I think he's a decent play, but I, I'm not, I'm not too, I'm not too obsessed with the idea of using the highest scoring tight end from last week. Um, but he is still really cheap. So that does make some sense. So the next game on the slate, the Green Bay Packers at the Minnesota Vikings, we have, as usual, it seems like there's always injury news for the Packers. It's kind of been an ongoing thing. I mean, I know every team in football always has injury news, but the Packers, for some reason, seem to have like significant injury news every single week. So Ty Montgomery is questionable to play, but it seems more like he's trending towards playing at this point in time. Aaron Jones got the start last week. He was expected to split carries with Jamal Williams. It did not happen. Aaron Jones got all of the snaps and played really, really well and looked good. So I'm going to assume, because of how good Jones played last week, that they're going to kind of be doing a thing where they're splitting carries going forward if they're both healthy. And then the other thing to be aware of is that uh, Jordy Nelson is questionable. Sam Bradford is questionable. He started last week with a knee injury but looked terrible, so maybe not 100%. So... What is the line and the total for this game, Matt? Okay, so the Packers opened at minus four. The line has already been bet down to minus three, and that's with the Vikings quarterback situation still up in the air. And the over-under was at 47. It's been bet back. It's been bet down half a point to 46 and a half. The public loves the Packers. The public loves the over. And I think there are probably a lot of reasons here to not like Green Bay this week. I think the first is the sharp indication for both the under and the Vikings. And then Like you said, there's the murkiness of the Packers' injury situation, and then also we don't really know how the running back situation will shake out. We might be looking at a carry split. And then after the Packers' big game against the Cowboys, they'll probably be pretty high-owned too because just Rodgers looked really good. The passing game looked really good. I think a lot of people will be going that route again, hoping that they can 
duplicate that performance. And I just don't think it's as likely in a much tougher matchup divisional road game. The Vikings are decent defense and all of the sharp betting indicates that the Vikings are undervalued. So I think based on all of that, I have no interest in using the green Bay offense at all, but uh, what do you think about the Vikings for their skill position players? So probably the chalkiest play on the slate, but for really good reason is Jarek McKinnon is only 4,100. So what happened was the pricing for these games came out last Sunday, and then the Vikings were the Monday night game. And the expectation coming into the game was that Latavius Murray was probably going to be the lead back, and Jarek McKinnon would be backing him up, and there'd be some kind of time split. McKinnon ended up getting most of the carries. He ended up also getting a lot of work in the passing game, and he looked really, really good. McKinnon's always been somebody who's been pretty well thought of in the stats community because really athletic. He had really good like athleticism. It's the speed score. McKinnon was my favorite guy coming out of college because I think he registered the highest speed score in NFL history that Football Outsiders has tracked. So speed score is just your 40 time divided by your weight. So relative to his weight, he was like the fastest guy ever, and his highlight reels are just really cool. So for my subjective analysis is that McKinnon is an awesome player. Uh, so with that said, he was really bad <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Uh, he's also had opportunities to start and hasn't made anything of it. But that was probably the best game of his career. He finished with 16 carries for 95 yards and had another six catches for 51 yards. So is he going to duplicate that performance? Probably not. But with that said, the Packers, it still presents a plus matchup. He's at home. He's only 4,100, which is just ridiculously cheap for a running back, let alone one that has this much upside. So McKinnon is one of the top plays on the slate. And, I mean, I, I think he, he could end up in all of my lineups. If not, he's certainly going to be in most of them because that's just a ridiculous value, him at 4,100. That's just way too cheap. And it's very unlikely that he doesn't have at least a decent game for that kind of salary. Yeah, I definitely am with you on McKinnon because I just like him a lot. But also what you're saying makes a ton of sense. Um, as far as the Vikings passing game, though, I guess we kind of just need to wait and see who plays quarterback. And then Stefan Diggs, I think, is questionable. So we don't know what's going on there. Yeah, I think McKinnon's the way to target the offense, though. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't go with, like... And also the other thing with Diggs is Diggs hurt his groin in the first quarter of last game. Diggs also had a groin injury last year. And Diggs got off to a really ridiculous start, kind of similar to this season, where Diggs are getting a ton of targets. He had a couple monster games. Uh, I think I remember him having something like a 16-catch game for 160 yards last last year at one point. And then he got groin injury, same deal, came out of a game early and was not the same for the rest of the season. So for that reason, because this injury seems to be really similar to what happened last year, I'm off Diggs even if he does end up playing. I think McKinnon's the way to target the Vikings offense. Yeah, it makes sense. And I guess that would mean you're not using either potential Vikings quarterback. So looks like just McKinnon from either side of this game. That would be correct. The next game on the slate, the Cleveland Browns at the Houston Texans. I think I just mixed up L's in there somewhere. It is the Cleveland Browns at the Houston Texans. So big injury news for the Texans defense. J.J. Watt is out for the season. Uh, Whitney Merciless is out for the season. Those are the Texans' two best defensive players. They're two of the best defensive players in the league. Huge downgrade to their defense. So with that said, what is the Vegas total and the spread for this, Matt? Yeah, we're seeing those injuries reflected in the line movement. So the the Texans opened as nine-point favorites. They're still nine-point favorites, but the total has gone from 44 up to 47. So I think part of that has to do with the Browns having maybe not an overrated defense. They ha- they're they overrated in terms of pass defense for sure. They've been 
really strange in that they're very good against the run this year, but very bad against the pass. But also the expected output for the Browns offense goes up with the Texans having those two major injuries. So I think this could end up being a higher scoring game than people initially thought. And the Browns have Miles Garrett in the mix now, who I I really like Miles Garrett. And it was funny because I've kind of been talking about him all year. I like, oh, I can't wait to like I'm I'm gonna use the Browns defense once Miles Garrett comes back and he played last week against the Jets. And if there was ever a spot to use them, it would have been last week and I didn't use them. And I guess they were I guess they were okay. But Garrett did have two sacks. I think he might have even had a sack on the Jets' first or maybe second passing play, so right away he was able to get on the stat sheet. So the Houston Texans, just because, as you mentioned, decent against the run, not good against the pass this year. I do think they're going to be a little bit better against the pass with Miles Garrett back. But with that said, Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson's been really good. DeAndre Hopkins has been really good. I think it's a usable combination. But I don't love them because they're just really expensive, and I think that there's some better spots that I prefer to pay up for. But I think they're worth a flyer in a couple of GPP lineups, just not really a lot of heavy exposure. And then from the Brown side of the game, just nobody I'm interested in. I know a lot of people really like Duke Johnson. Uh, no thanks for me. I still think even with the loss of those couple of players, Duke Johnson's price has gone up a decent amount. I think there's better value, so I'm off the Browns offense as a whole. And I can't imagine people are that excited about the Browns offense anyway. Well, so with the Texans time. having these injuries, though, I guess there is some potential for the Browns to do decent, but I guess it's hard to know which wide receiver is going to do well. They've they seem to be rotating the receivers a lot, so I don't know. It's just hard to figure out where where the targets are going. And then, yeah, I no guess Rich, I agree no with Rashard you. Higgins. Yeah, no, Rashard <laughs> Higgins was uh, not, <laughs> that did not work out well. Yeah, I don't that know. Was, that was easily that was easily the worst play of the year, uh, and. I, I, I'm, that might have even been the worst play of my entire DFS career. So, I mean, to to use a wide receiver who's the chalkiest player on the slate that doesn't end up getting a single target and barely plays, that, that was a that was a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the guy now is Ricardo Lewis, who actually has been decent the last two weeks, and he's only 3,900. So take a flyer on one Browns receiver. Maybe that's the guy. And then I, I agree with you on Watson and Hopkins. They're probably worth a flyer. It's a really strong matchup for them, but they're just really expensive. So mostly a fade for me, too. So the next game on the slate, this is probably going to have my favorite offense in it. The Miami Dolphins at the Atlanta Falcons. Matt, what is the Vegas total and the spread here? The Falcons are seeing a decent amount of line movement. They opened at minus 10. The line is up to 11.5 now. But the total has dropped from 47.5 down to 46. The public is actually heavy on the under here. I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, maybe you can shed some light on some injury news or I don't know, for whatever reason, the public is just biased against points in Dolphins games because they've played some pretty low scoring ones. Uh, but the Falcons are big favorites and it's a reasonable total. So it looks like a pretty high expected output for the Atlanta offense. Yeah. So Miami's defense this year, it's kind of interesting because they're actually, uh, they're 29th in DVOA this year, 29th against the pass, second against the run. So they've been very bad against the pass this year. And Matt Ryan and Julio Jones are both fairly reasonably priced for this game. Julio Jones is the second most expensive wide receiver on the slate at, what was it, 8,200? 8,300. But with that said, we've seen him be more expensive in previous years. He hasn't gone off to a great start this year. But this is a really good spot for him to put up big numbers again at home. So dome game, 
really bad defense. And then Matt Ryan, also priced at 7000 He was pretty regularly one of the most expensive quarterbacks every week last, last year. So I think this is a really strong spot for them and the passing game, especially against the Dolphins, because they have the 29th-ranked pass defense this year by DVOA. And then from the Dolphins' side of the game, Devontae Parker, questionable, but it seems like he's not going to play at this point in time. So I know that people are going to go, well, Jay Cutler sucks. Yes, that's true, but Jarvis Landry, considering that I'm expecting the Dolphins to be down a decent amount in this game, Landry gets a ton of targets by game this year. 15 targets, 11 targets, 7 targets, 10 targets. And then without Parker, we could bump that up even more. So considering they're going to be playing from behind, they're going to have to throw the ball. I, I really like this spot for Jarvis Landry. I think that there's good value in him in what should be an increased role with injuries. Yeah, I'm with you on Ryan and Jones, and Landry makes a ton of sense. The one pick that I think could be interesting, but I'm having a little trouble deciding on is Jay Ajayi. Because Atlanta has been really bad against the run this year. They're decent on pass defense, but they're one of the worst teams in the league on run defense by DVOA. And Ajayi is just not that expensive. He's getting a ton of carries. He had 25 carries last week, even though he had a fumble and I think was benched for one drive. Um, I guess the issue is if the Dolphins fall behind by too much, there won't be a lot of carries. But if the game stays sort of close, he could have a decent game. So do you think he's usable or you just expect Atlanta to have too big of a lead where you're not going there? So here's the thing is, I I think in most situations for me, he would be usable. Uh, Obviously, we liked him last week. And last week was was overall a really good football week for both of us. And Landry was really the only miss we had in terms of... Ajay, not... Sorry, Ajay. Okay. Uh, So the issue I just have is how big of... uh, How kind of big of a spread and how big of favorites Atlanta is for this week. I just don't think it sets up very well for Ajayi to be running the ball. And one of the reasons that we liked Ajayi last week was just because this was a situation where it seemed like the Dolphins were going to be playing in a closer game, which is what happened, so we got more touches. But if you look at the last two weeks, he only had 23 carries combined in those two weeks, and it was because they were really big underdogs, and they just got... uh, No, they weren't big underdogs, but they were just trailing a lot in that game. They had to throw the ball. So for that reason, that's why I prefer to go towards Landry. And I also just think Landry makes more sense with the Matt Ryan-Julio Jones combination because assuming that those two score a lot of points and are putting up touchdowns, it's going to require Landry to get uh, you know the ball thrown his way and the Dolphins having to throw the ball to get back into it. So that's how I prefer to attack this game. So I think if you're using Ryan and Jones, which is probably a stack that both of us will use a lot, then you'll be using Landry with them because there's definite correlation there. If Ryan and Jones have a big game, Dolphins will probably be trailing and Landry will get a lot of targets. But in lineups without Ryan and Jones, where you're kind of playing for a situation where they don't have a huge game, maybe it makes sense to use Ajayi in those lineups. But I definitely would not pair Ajayi with Ryan and Jones just because those things are negatively correlated. Yeah, like unless unless you have this idea that the Dolphins are going to be up a lot and they're going to be running out the clock with Ryan throwing the ball to Julio Jones at the end of the game. But I, I don't foresee that situation at all in this game. Uh, and then the other thing also in terms of Ajayi, there's just a lot of really good cheap running back options this week. So he, he just doesn't quite make the cut for me because I just think there's better plays for cheaper prices. Yep, fair enough. All right, we can go on to the next one. Uh, another game that should be pretty high scoring, the Detroit Lions at the New Orleans Saints. Does this game have the highest total of the week? I think it does. It's only a total of 50, so there's not really a game with a ton of point output that's expected this week. 
we don't have a line on the Raiders-Chargers game yet, so that could be the highest one. But as of now, it is the Saints-Lions game. So the Saints are minus six. I think the line is actually, I'm seeing some lines, some casinos have it at six. Some are down at four and a half. So there might be... There might be some current movement that's happening now as we speak where the lines are being bet down a bit. The public oh, loves live on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's some there's a there's a bunch of stuff changing on this live odds screen that I'm looking at. Very uh, people, very people exciting. People are listening stuff. to our podcast live and they're placing bets based on what we say. Yeah, that's well if you are, uh, you may not you may not be getting the line that I'm saying that you're going to get. This is uh, just crazy stuff. <laughs> but the Lions are definitely based on the line movement are a public favorite offense this week. They're underdogs, but they're getting the majority of the bets, 68% of the spread bets, and 73% of the total bets in this game are on the over. The over-under has gone up from 49.5 to 50.5. So people like the Lions offense, and it's kind of a strange line. I think it would surprise a lot of people to see the Lions as almost touchdown underdogs here, and that's probably why the spread is dropping a bit. Uh, but I think the indicators here favor the Saints with the point total going up and with it being such a contrarian spot. And uh, they don't have Adrian Peterson anymore, but I still think that we could probably find some value in the Saints offense. Yes. So obviously Saints offense always, they've been just his, historically, they've been a bad offense for, I don't know, like 10 years or something like that. Now they've just been a bad off a bad defense for a really long time now. So, the 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 Lions offense is going to score some points. The question is how. I think that Stafford to Golden Tate makes the most amount of sense. The running back situation is a little bit difficult to figure out. Uh, Amir Abdul hasn't really been getting a ton of uh, of action. He did get a decent amount of touches two weeks ago. He was at twenty three, but only ten carries and then one catch last week. So it's hard to really trust that. I think that there's better value plays at running back. Same that Theo Riddick is also in the mix, so hard to know what to make of that. So Stafford to Tate, I think, makes some sense. From the Saints side of the ball, I love uh, camera for this game. So you mentioned it. Adrian Peterson traded away from the Saints. Peterson had been awful this year. He wasn't able to do anything, but he was taking playing time and touches away from Ingram and from camera. Camera in the Saints' last game actually had 10 catches for 71 yards. And one of the main reasons they traded Peterson was because they said they want to get Camera more involved. They want to have him on the field more. So I think him at only, see, 44 or 4,500, he is, not that it matters. I like him a lot either way. I just want to make sure. Very small right. difference. So, yeah, he's, he's exactly makes all the difference. Well, 4,500, 4, he's also a really, really strong value play. Uh, he's going to be one of my favorite players on the slate. Definitely him and McKinnon make a ton of sense at running back. I think both awesome plays. So that's where I'm going to go for this game. Yeah, that's that's all I've got, too. I agree with you on the Saints. Now, clearer running back situation. I don't think I love Stafford, but I think I like Tate independently just because there are other quarterbacks that we've already mentioned and probably will continue to mention that are in better spots than I think Stafford is. He's on the road. And the Saints actually have had a decent pass defense this year. Um, you mentioned them being bad, historically bad for the last 10 years, but this year they've been 16th by DVOA in pass defense. They're 30th against the run. Um, I would say this is a great spot for the Lions running game, but like you said, we don't know where the carries are going, and it's kind of hard to pinpoint one guy. But it is a little bit of a downgrade for the Lions offense that the Saints are better against the pass than they've been in previous years. 
Um, I don't think it's going to be a bad game for Stafford because this game does have a high total and it's not like the Saints pass defense is good now, but it's certainly less bad and I probably will just use Golden Tate and not really go with Stafford here. So the next game, a game that nobody would have thought had significant rivalry playoff implications, but here we go. The New England Patriots at the New York Jets, <laughs> the battle for the A for the for the AL East. Oh, I, I keep I keep going. There was baseball. baseball on tonight. Those teams there you're saying. Baseball. Yeah, the Yankees won. The Yankees won. That was very exciting. So Yankees uh, versus also, Patriots. What do you got? People don't know is that we're recording this at two o'clock in the morning. So that I'm also. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit of a sleepy boy, so that that is definitely impacting some of my focus here. But anyway, the Patriots at the Jets. Um, what is the point spread and the total, and is there any sharp action for this, Matt? There's a little bit. So the public likes the Patriots. The public always likes the Patriots. I thought we might have a little bit less public sentiment on New England this week because the Jets are on a three-game winning streak, but not really the case. The public loves New England. The line is at... Minus nine for the Pats. It went up to minus nine and a half, but I think it's been bet down by a little bit of sharp money back to nine. So there's some slight indication that the Jets are seeing the bets from the wise guys, but I think overall this line looks pretty fair. And then also we've seen the total go up from 47 to 47 and a half, despite more under bets than over bets. So this could be an indication of a little bit of sharp money on the over. And the Patriots offense has struggled well, it struggled last week against Tampa, and the Jets' offense is just always bad. So I think maybe we're looking at a higher scoring game than people expect. But as far as the point spread, I think it's probably a fair one. So on the Patriots' side of the game, Rob Gronkowski missed last week due to a bruised thigh. It was not really a serious injury, but it was just kind of a situation where he got hurt on a Sunday. The game was on a Thursday, so there's just not a lot of recovery time. He is 100%. He's ready to go. I'm totally unconcerned with the injury. He's my favorite player to pay up for a tight end. He's also just not really that expensive. I mean, he's 6800 so I know that's more expensive than the other tight ends, but Gronkowski is somebody in previous seasons who's been priced over 8000 He's still been really good this year. He's the number one tight end by uh, DYAR this year. And then still, I mean, you look at his point outputs the last few weeks, uh, kind of a tough game. Uh, week one, Kansas City, New England just didn't play well that game. But since then, six carry, uh, six catches for 116 yards and a touchdown, eight catches for 89 yards and a touchdown, four catches for 80 yards. So, I mean, Gronkowski's still safest tight end. And, I mean, him at 6,800, I think that's a great play against the Jets. That's where I want to get exposure to the Patriots offense. Obviously, Brady makes some sense, too. Before you comment on the Jets, though, I just want to throw in that the Jets have ranked second in the NFL against tight ends this year by DVOA, but I also don't think Gronkowski really counts as a tight end. He's kind of a different sort of player than most tight ends where he's, I don't know, He, I think he should have he's, his own position. He's, I think I think he's just labeled as a tight end because he's the size of an offensive lineman who plays wide receiver. So it's just it just kind of makes sense. Like, ah, he's huge and he's a receiver, therefore a tight end. Uh, and also that he does line up you know, in the tight end position a decent amount of time. But he also does, you know, kind of play outside as a wide receiver and runs routes down the field. I mean, it's like Gronkowski should be able to destroy the Jets. Like there's just no defense for Gronkowski really from anybody. He's kind of one of those matchup proof type players. And then obviously Brady does make some sense. The issue I do have with this game is there is the potential for it to maybe get a little bit out of hand where they're kind of running the ball out. But either way, uh, 
Gronkowski is my favorite player from the Patriots side. From the Jets side of the game, uh, it looks like Bilal Powell isn't going to play. Right now it looks like Matt Forte isn't going to play. So Elijah McGuire, 4,700, he's going to be on the field a lot. And there's also potential for him to be getting a lot of garbage time points where if the Jets are down like 14 or 10 points, like if it's a double-digit game late in the game, I, I really foresee a situation where the Jets are just going to be dumping the ball off to Elijah McGuire a ton. He's going to rack up a lot of easy points. He's going to be on the field all game. Oh, he's actually 4,600. Uh, still like him, even though he's 4,600, not 4,700. Still Elijah McGuire, strong play. <laughs> And he's also looked decent at times. He's very explosive, big play potential. Uh, there's just a lot of really cheap running backs this week that I like. So it's going to be really easy to pay up for wide receiver. It's going to be easy to pay up for Gronk. And that's where I kind of think the lineup construction is go cheap at wide receiver and then pay up at other positions. So Elijah McGuire, another strong running back value. Yeah, I think I like the Jets offense in a vacuum for their passing game more because the Patriots figure to have a lead. The Jets probably will be throwing late, and the Jets' passing game is really cheap. Josh McCown is cheap. All the Jets' receivers are cheap. But just like you said, the way this slate is structured, where there's a lot of value for cheap running backs, it's not going to make a ton of sense to go cheap at quarterback and receiver because there aren't really high-value running backs to pay up for. And if you want to use the Jets' passing game, then you're probably just left with a ton of extra salary. So Lineup construction-wise, it's not really that feasible of a strategy to go with the good value running backs and the Jets passing offense. So even though I like it, I think we're kind of just going to be ignoring that and using McGuire and probably just Gronk, maybe just only those two guys from this game. So the next game on the slate, Chicago Bears at the Baltimore Ravens. Mitch Trubisky made his NFL debut last week, played against the Vikings. I thought he looked pretty decent last week. I think he's probably already better than Mike Lennon. He showed good mobility, really athletic, really good arm. He made a couple of really good-looking passes downfield. So I don't think that he's a terrible quarterback. But with that said, the Baltimore Ravens defense has been really good this year. And this is a brutal matchup, second game of his career to be going into Baltimore. So with that said, I expect this to be a really low-scoring game, especially because the Ravens don't have a great offense. So what is the total and spread for this, Matt? So this game has the lowest total of any game on the regular DraftKings slate. The Giants-Broncos game is lower for all games for this week. But just the games that we're concerned with, this is the lowest one. And it's at 39.5 now. Line opened at 40. It was bet down half a point. The Ravens open at minus seven. They're now minus six and a half. And I do agree with you. This figures to be a very ugly game. Not a lot of good offense. The Ravens' defense is very good. So even if Trubisky is decent, it's just this is just a really tough matchup. So with the Ravens' offense being bad and the Ravens' defense being very good, I think this will be a common theme where we just don't use any players from either side of a Ravens game. And that probably makes sense for this week, too. Yeah, I think I think that the Ravens defense makes some sense for this game. Even though I did say that I think that Trubisky is a decent quarterback, we're still looking at a situation where second career game for a rookie quarterback could be a little mistake prone. He did throw a key interception late in the game. And the Ravens defense is second in DVOA so far this year, second against the pass. That's that's just a brutal situation for a young quarterback, so I think the Ravens' defense to pay up for makes sense because there really aren't a lot of great defense spots this week. So Ravens' defense is probably the only spot that I'll have any exposure to this game. 
the next game on the slate, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Arizona Cardinals. I know you like this spot a decent amount, Matt. So what is the spread, and is there any sharp movement here? Uh, there's not really sharp movement, but there's some indicators. So the Bucks open the game opened to pick them. The Bucks are now up to minus one, trending towards minus one and a half. But this comes with a lot of public sentiment. So it looks like the sharper bets are on Arizona, and the Cardinals' offenses look really bad. But Tampa is one of those teams, like a few others that we've mentioned already on this podcast, where their pass defense is substantially worse than their run defense. By DVOA, the Bucks rank 6th against the run and 27th against the pass. And the Cardinals also throw a ton now that David Johnson isn't playing. They've been throwing a ton all year. So even though their passing game isn't very efficient, they should be able to put up a bunch of points just by volume. They're not that expensive. Um, Carson Palmer is, I think, average price quarterback this week. But just based on the line movement, I think that the Cardinals are definitely going to be very low owned and there could be a decent amount of value there. The total has gone up from 44 and a half to 45 and a half already. So maybe a little bit of sharp betting on the over, but the public definitely likes the bucks here. Yeah. So I'm actually kind of interested that the public likes the bucks because the Buccaneers were in a really strong spot against a really shitty Patriots defense last week. And they really let down Jameis Winston played terribly. I'll be interested to see what their ownership is for DFS purposes, I'm going to assume that nobody's going to be on the Buccaneers in this spot. I think this is a good. I think this is a good situation for both uh, both passing games. The Cardinals' defense, 24th in DVOA this year against the pass. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 27th in DVOA against the pass. So this figures to be a game where both teams are able to have some success throwing the ball. Uh, I don't really love the spot for Winston, but. I do really like Mike Evans a lot. Mike Evans only at 6,900 against a pretty below average Cardinals defense. Like last week, Evans was 7,900. He was one of the most popular players on the Thursday slate. So to see him still have a really plus matchup and be down 1,000, and I'm going to assume that because of the letdown spot, people aren't going to roster him. I think that I think that Mike Evans is a pretty strong play at 6,900, and he's one of the wide receivers who I like to pay up for with some of those uh, you know, cheap running backs. Well, Evans didn't actually have a big game against the Patriots, so no, I, I think he a bad game. Yeah, he um, right. The the point production came mostly from Deshaun Jackson and Cameron Brait. So I think people who watched that game, it was a nationally televised game, so we could see a lot of biases just from seeing it. I think the public bias on the Bucks is because they kept the game close and they actually almost won on the final play. So they played neck and neck with the Patriots. If they didn't miss three field goals, they probably would have won easily. So I think a lot of people saw that and think of the Bucks as a really good team now because they almost beat the Patriots, who, if you just kind of glanced at the game, you may not realize that Gronk didn't play in it. You also may not realize that the Patriots' defense has been really bad this year. But Winston actually did have a really strong fantasy game. He threw for over 300 yards, even though he was really inefficient. And Jackson and Brait both, both put up, I think, 19 fantasy points. So everyone besides Evans actually had a strong fantasy game. So I think... In terms of ownership, the Bucks are probably going to be higher owned. That does look like a cheap price for Evans, though. So I, I agree with you that both sides of this game for uh, for their passing attacks are viable. Yeah, this is uh, – so Mike Evans' prices by by week this year, 7,500, 7,400, 7,900, 7,900. And now he's all the way down to 6,900 and still a plus matchup. So I think that's weighted a little bit too heavily by his poor fantasy point game last week 
in New England. And the other thing also is that Winston, even though he did, uh, just Winston just put up some garbage time points. He threw, uh, he threw a touchdown at Cameron Braid and then just racked up some easy yardage against the prevent defense. Winston was just miserable last week, just overthrowing a lot of open guys. And he just, it, it just, it, it, that happens sometimes where it just Mike Evans, for whatever reason, didn't get really involved in the offense. But still, he's one of the better wide receivers in football, and I think it's just too cheap for him in a plus matchup. So Mike Evans, a really strong spot. From the Cardinal side of the game, uh, I do think that Carson Palmer makes some sense because of the volume. I'm a little concerned that they added Adrian Peterson to the mix. They traded for AP. So I wonder if they'll go with a little bit more heavy of a run attack. But I also wouldn't roster Peterson at 3,400. I prefer some of the other cheap running backs who I mentioned before. And that Peterson's just been really bad for the last year and a half now. Yeah, I'm interested in Palmer and Fitzgerald. Not going to use Peterson. That price tag is probably intriguing to a lot of people, but he's just not good. And we do have a lot of good cheap running back options. So I think I think we're on the same page there. So the next game is the Los Angeles Rams at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, this is going to be really quick because I don't have any interest in either side of this game. I'm sure people are going to want to play Leonard Fournette. People are going to want to play Todd Gurley because the Jaguars have a bad run defense. But I just think that I think those are the only two really playable guys from either of these offenses, and I prefer cheap running backs this week. So this is just a stay away from me. Uh, is there any sharp action or anything of note from the Vegas side of this game, Matt? Yeah, it's great. Your intuitions match the sharp money that's going on so far. So that's always awesome when that happens. The Jaguars opened as Pickham uh, slight favors. I think they were at minus one, but the line is up to minus two and a half, minus three in some places. The sharp action though is on the total. So that Jaguars move. Is, it comes with pretty split public betting. I think the line was kind of just off to begin with. And the Jaguars are probably just a little bit better than they were given credit for by the initial line. But the sharp action is on the under here. The total was at 44. Now it's down to 42. And I think that for whatever reason, the Rams offense is kind of just overvalued by the public. I guess people love Todd Gurley. Maybe people just love Leonard Fournette. There's a really... Two really high, highly touted running backs, prominent names, just guys that people like to watch. So there could be a lot of ownership there, and it's just not going to be justified. These defenses are both really strong. By DVOA, the Jaguars rank actually— Number one. Yeah, they're number one in Dave, and it's crazy because they're 31st against the run. Um, but I, I still don't think Gurley is, is a strong play. He's just expensive and— the game, like the pace of this game, will probably be low too. So it's just there. There's not going to be a lot of volume on either side. And then the Rams' defense has been pretty good this year too. They rank ninth by Dave. So two very strong defenses, especially the Jaguars. And I think I'm with you on staying away from it entirely. Although I do think the Jaguars' defense could make some sense. Uh, yeah, I, I I think I'd prefer to pay up for the Ravens' defense. Uh, this game just stay away from me. Just not a lot of interest really anywhere. The next game on the slate, the Los Angeles Chargers at the Oakland Raiders, uh, matchup of two California teams. Uh, I was going to say now two California teams, but San Diego is also in California, so <laughs> not really much has changed. Uh, what is the total and the spread for this one, Matt? Oh, so we actually don't have a line for this. I think Derek Carr was just announced as the starter, so we don't have any Vegas info yet. Uh, I think this game probably will end up having the highest total, but... Not sure what's going on yet. Um, 
I, I don't think it'll have quite the highest total just for uh, – so we'll go off. Pro Football Focus has this with a 47-point total with the Raiders as two-point favorites. The expectation is for Derek Carr to play. He is probable at this point in time. The Oakland Raiders' offense is so cheap for this matchup. Now, it's not like a crazy good matchup. The Chargers have it, they have like an average defense, but it's still a home game for the Raiders. They're one of the best offenses in football last year, and we now have Derek Carr's price below 6000 uh, Amari Cooper is all the way down at 5000 which is an insane price for him. He's sucked this year. He's been awful. I don't know what it is that he can't catch the ball, but Amari Cooper is an insane amount of drops this year. I think some of it is uh, bad performance. Some of it's just unluckiness where he just, for whatever reason, didn't catch balls where he should have because there's no real expect. There's no real explanation for it. He's been one of the best wide receivers in football, not like a top end, not like a Julio Jones, Antonio Brown type level good, but he's been like on the next tier wide receivers, kind of like, uh, like 15th to 25th best wide receiver in the NFL the last couple of seasons. And to see him priced all the way down at 5,000 when just three weeks ago he was at 8,100, like that's just ridiculous value. So I really like the price tags on Carr, Cooper, Crabtree. I think the three of them all make sense and have a lot of value. From the Chargers side of the game, Hunter Henry uh, is priced at 4100 and I think he's a decent play at tight end. Uh, it's kind of been trending the last couple of weeks where there's been less snaps for Antonio Gates, more snaps for Hunter Henry, more targets for Hunter Henry. So they're making him more involved in the offense, which really makes sense because Hunter Henry is really cheap. He's a decent prospect. And the Chargers are just not good this year. They're 1-3. They're not going anywhere. Antonio Gates is like 47 years old or something mm-hmm. ridiculous like that. He's been in the league for forever. I remember using him in like Madden 96. So I, I think that Hunter Henry makes some sense. And then definitely Raiders offense, a lot of a lot of value there in the passing game. Yeah, I don't think it's a particularly strong spot compared to some of the other teams in terms of overall expected output because a few of the offenses we mentioned, especially the Falcons, should put up more points. But the prices are just so much lower here than anywhere else. Like the Raiders cost about the same as the Jets. So it's just it's just a really cheap spot for them. And I, I think I'm definitely on board there because – Almost any offense is usable when they have talented receivers that are priced 5000 and below, and the Raiders actually do have decent offensive potential. So this looks like a pretty strong spot to me, too. Yeah, it's a good offense. The only thing I'd be wary of is obviously you have to make sure that Derek Carr is playing. I think that's part of the reason that the wide receivers are priced so cheaply, because Carr was originally expected to be out, I think it was four to six weeks. He had a, um, a broken bone in his back or something. As I've said before, I'm not a doctor, so I can't get all I can't get all technical with it. But he had an injury. He was not expected to play. But the Raiders receivers are priced as if EJ Manuel is going to be the quarterback. So just there's value built in there because Terry Carr is starting instead of EJ Manuel. So that's why the price are off on the Oakland wide receivers. Do you so still the think they're game, usable? If let's say Manuel plays over Carr, would you still have interest in using Mari Cooper? Usable. EJ Manuel blows. Like, I'm so off. I'm so off them. Then, like, there's. I, I wouldn't use. I wouldn't use EJ Manuel against a Pee Wee football team. So it's good clarification. Yeah. Uh, other uh, other references for whatever youth football leagues there are. I, I just EJ Manuel. Like that would take me off them. The expectation is that Derek Carr is going to start now, and as long as he starts, I think there's a lot of value in those wide receivers. The last game on the slate, 
a team that probably Matt or I, neither of us are very happy with because we used a lot of our survivable picks on the Pittsburgh Steelers last week, and they just did not play. They had one of the worst game plans I've ever seen for a team they're playing. The Jacksonville Jaguars, who came into the week with the worst run defense in the league, the best pass defense in the league, the Steelers have Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell did have a decent fantasy game, but the Steelers' offensive game plan ends up being that we're going to have Big Ben Roethlisberger throw a million times and run the ball 10 times to Le'Veon Bell. And unsurprisingly, it did not go well. The Steelers got blown out. Roethlisberger threw five interceptions and had one of the worst quarterback games of the year, which prompted him more afterwards to say in a press conference that he might not have it anymore, which always instills confidence in you. As a DFS player and wanted to roster Roethlisberger, with that said, they're playing the Kansas City Chiefs this week. This should actually be a really fun game to watch. And the Chiefs have been one of the best teams in football this year. Matt, is there any sharp action for this game? I'd be curious to see if the Sharps are looking for a bounce back from the Steelers. Um, there's none really yet, but I think it's going to come. The public is 65 to 35% in terms of spread bets towards the Chiefs. But Sports Insights has tracked the dollars bet, 65-35, the other way. So the bigger bets have come in on the Steelers so far. I think the Sharps are probably waiting for this line to hit 4.5. So it opened at minus 4 for Kansas City. I think they're waiting for it to hit 4.5 so there can be some buyback at that extra half point for a semi-key number. Football games, and by three or seven point margins most of the time, but four is the third most common number, I believe. So I think that we'll see some sharper money towards uh towards game time we're also seeing the total drop so it's from it was at 47 at opening now it's at 46 the chiefs offense might just be overvalued right now i don't see any way that alex smith can be nearly as good as how he's played given his track record as being just kind of an average quarterback i mean maybe we can call him good now but the chiefs are just overvalued as a whole which tends to happen when a team is 5-0. and I think that's ma- being made pretty clear here by the betting split. And then also, the narrative against the Steelers is just it's, ju- it's just too strong. I mean, anytime there's this big of a narrative against a team, it's not necessarily the case that the Steelers will win because of it. They won't play better as a result of the narrative, but I would imagine they're going to have very low ownership. I think the Chiefs, their skill position players, will have high ownership. Chiefs defense might have high ownership. Um, I think the public is just really overlooking the Steelers here. The only issue, though, is that they're very expensive. So I don't know if we can really take advantage of this for DFS purposes, but I'm definitely fading the Chiefs in this game. Yeah, I think there's better spots than the Chiefs. From the the Browns, from the Steelers' side of the game, it's just hard to get behind Roethlisberger. Not only has he had... Not really a great season this year. I know we were talking about this before the podcast that the first four weeks of the season, Roethlisberger was not terrible. But we he was actually above take- average, just a little bit worse than he was in previous years. Yeah, but he still was bad last week, and that does have to be taken into consideration a little bit. He is on the road, and Roethlisberger does have some of the more pronounced home road splits of any quarterback in the league over the course of his career. He's also 36. Uh, this is age 36 season, so it's reasonable to expect a decline in performance. And, you know, just also a quarterback who's been beat up a lot in his career. He's had a lot of injuries, had a lot of serious injuries, had the motorcycle accident. So I think it's reasonable to expect at least a slight decline from Roethlisberger this year. He's not really priced down for it. Also, another thing to throw in from the Chiefs side of the game, uh, Travis Kelsey 
is questionable to play. Seems more likely to sit than play at this point. Uh, had a ridiculous first half last week. I think he had eight catches for 98 yards in the first half last week and then got a concussion and didn't come back in the game. So that's a slight downgrade to the Chiefs offense. Then from the Steelers side of the game, Antonio Brown is ridiculously expensive. If you have the extra salary to spend up for him, it makes some sense because as much as Roethlisberger does have the crazy home road splits, Brown is still getting just a, a ton of targets this year. He's been the highest scoring wide receiver this year. He's averaging 22 fantasy points a game. His targets by game this week, 11, 11, 14, 9, and 19. So that's a lot of balls coming his way. I still don't think there's a lot of value in that price tag because it's so expensive. So he's really only somebody I use if you have the salary left over to pay up for him. It just makes sense, but not really somebody I'm actively going to target. So not a lot of interest in this game overall. Do you have anything else to add before we close out the pod for this week, Matt? Yeah, I'll just mention the Chiefs defense is probably overrated too. So they've been the 11th best by DVOA, but they're 19th in Dave when you factor in a bit of their preseason projections. And it's just kind of a frustrating thing because I would ordinarily love to use a team like the Steelers in this spot where they'd potentially be undervalued, but they're not priced down based on the recent struggles. Um, it's a good spot, too, because they're facing a 5-0 and team who has the reputation now, at least, of being the best team in football, which they've played like, but maybe they're not quite that good. And then from the Chiefs' offense, just to reiterate how strongly I feel about not using them, I think there's going to be a bias against the Steelers defense that's unreasonable because they just gave up 30 points to the Jaguars, but you have to take into account that two of the touchdowns were scored on pick sixes. So it really wasn't a bad game for the Steelers defense. It was just an absolutely horrendous game for Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers defense is third in day of this year. So I have no interest in either side. And I think with it being a very popular game that a lot of people, like you said, it's going to be a great game to watch. I think that'll drive up the ownership too. So with the prices being high, the ownership likely being very high, I think I'm staying away from this game entirely. And yeah, that's all I have there, and I guess we can wrap this up. Yeah, that'll that'll wrap up the podcast. Uh, we have NBA starting Tuesday night. It's only a two-game slate, so we'll probably do some sort of podcast just because it's opening night, so it'll be fun to do something for that. But I'm not really exactly sure how we'll go handle it because only two games. There's not going to be a whole lot to talk about. So we'll figure something out. Maybe if people has like have like general DFS basketball questions, you can either message me on Twitter or the Slack chat if you're a member at Roto Pros or if you're one of the few people who has my email or phone number. So if Matt, if you have questions, you can text me <laughs> questions. Thanks for letting uh, me know. I can so text yeah, you. So yeah, if anybody's guys. questions related to basketball DFS, you can hit me up with those, and we can talk about it on the podcast just so we have something to talk about on two game slate. Otherwise, it's going to be like a five minute podcast. So that'll wrap up football for this week. Hopefully we have another good one. You can follow me on Twitter, G Ehrenberg DFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense, and we'll be back with basketball.